Well, a lot of agencies in my area will only respond now to life-threatening medical calls. Uh, we call them echo responses. If not, you're going to be running three or 4,000 runs a year just on medicals. Our ambulance service has three paid crews. Who, there's no way we could possibly keep up with that amount of work. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. Enchanted Sky Studios in Prescott, Arizona. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategies, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. A lot of volunteer fire departments are worried about the dwindling number of new recruits. But what about holding on to the members already in the ranks? That takes a little effort these days, and it may require some structural changes, too. It may be necessary, though, because turnover is the enemy of a solid volunteer department. Here to discuss that with me is Ed Dolan. He's been a member of the Catskill Fire Department in New York for 30 years, and he served 16 years as a chief officer. And Ed Dolan joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Thanks for having me. Well, it's no secret that new volunteers are becoming tough to find. But why is it so hard to retain current volunteers? Well, I I think there's uh, many issues in respect to that question. We have inadequate leadership in different places. Uh, Different places like New York State, we're losing population mandated training from the different states that are put on volunteers that it has a negative effect and also we're kind of a victim of their own success you know with automatic alarms and, and turnout gear and getting to fires quicker and faster you don't have the uh, big exciting fires as much as you used to that draw a lot of attention it seems that there are in fact a lot of calls that would be considered utility calls I mean, you can only respond to put someone back into bed so many times before you start to wonder why you're doing it if you're a volunteer. Exactly. Uh, I like to call them in-and-out calls. Automatic alarms, the same addresses, carbon monoxide, EMS assist, you know, for minor emergencies. When you respond from home as a volunteer agency like that and you start doing five, six, seven hundred runs, it just starts to wear on the members especially when members age out and quit faster than you can recruit them. Training is always a big motivator, or it isn't. What role does it play in keeping interest going? Well, training is very important. It has to be done, but it has to be done in a way that it attracts all levels of experience to the firehouse on drill night. One way to combat this is we like to mentor younger guys and pair them up with older guys when we're doing training for people that don't have a lot of experience you know the the older member senior member will 
tag along and vice versa. When we do training for experienced guys like me, I'll bring a, a newer member. He'll be my partner and explain why we're doing what we're doing. So we give him a little, little piece of what's to come four or five years down the road for him as he develops into a firefighter. So it's a matter of giving both bands training to the guys who need it, but the basic training to the guys who need it and keeping them both going at the same time. Yeah, if, if you're going to go and pump water 30 times a year, you're going you're gonna to lose interest real quick. What suggestion do you have for all those medical runs at 2 a.m.? At some point, volunteers, I think, are going to say, I've had enough of this, I'm not going to respond to all of them anymore. Well, a lot of agencies in my area will only respond now to life-threatening medical calls. Uh, it, we call them echo responses. If not, you're going to be running three or 4,000 runs a year just on medicals. Our ambulance service has three paid crews. There's no way we could possibly keep up with that amount of work. The paid EMS crews make those runs, and they only tone you out when they believe there's a need for more manpower. Is that how that works? Yeah, either manpower for lifting or if they have a uh, an echo response where they're not readily available, you know, cardiac arrest or an overdose then they'll send the fire department. What about automatic aid agreements? Do those need to be reevaluated these days? I think so. I think you have to set reasonable expectations, you know, for your community. You know, a lot of paid departments run one engine and one ladder to automatic fire alarms. You know, we have some volunteer fire departments running four or five agencies to automatic alarms. Is it really necessary? If you can't get six or eight guys together between two or three companies and you're going to four or five companies, and then maybe it's time you look at a combination department. But we, we like to reevaluate about every six months. We do try to keep our automatic mutual aid to a minimum, just for the simple fact we don't want to burn out people for our own runs. You know, if there's a fire, you're going to find no firefighter is never going to say no going to a fire. But I get it. You know, you want to make sure you have enough people on the road. But sometimes I think we go a little overboard with our automatic mutual aid. It's a little unusual. I think I'm seeing a pattern here. I had assumed that there were some jurisdictions, and there probably are, where they don't get enough calls to keep up the interest. But you're talking about receiving too many calls that maybe volunteers just don't want to respond to all of them anymore. Correct. I, I know it's not a level playing field, you know, um, a rural department in Arkansas. It's a lot different than, you know, my suburban department in New York, you know, with building construction, population, money. You know, I get that. And I know it's hard for those folks to keep members attracted and keep them coming around when they're, you know, running very, very few runs. However, my part of the country and in my area in particular, our runs are increasing, you know, as the infrastructure and the buildings age. And the Northeast is the oldest part of the country. And, you know, it's starting to show. We, we go to more and more uh, gas leaks because the infrastructure is 100 and some years old with the gas, natural gas. Same with our fires. You know, we still have fires and buildings that are connected together. And, and it's a lot different here than in a lot of other places in the country. Do you have a situation where you need to motivate your volunteers to want to respond to things like gas leaks when they're at inconvenient times? where these folks may be thinking, 
I'm a fireman. I'm going to respond to fires. But these other calls are just, I'm just too busy to get to them. Do you have to motivate people to go to those? Actually, in my department, we get less guys at 2 in the morning than we do at 2 in the afternoon. We're kind of opposite everybody else. We have a pretty good daytime core of people around. But we have so many calls that a lot of the, I call it in and out calls at night, well, you know, the same six or seven guys will answer them. It's, it's important to constantly stress to the membership how a gas call can turn into a serious emergency in a matter of a second. Right, it can, and, and the one time that you need the manpower may be the time that they've given up and said, I'm not going to get up and go do that. Absolutely. Uh, we also have a policy where anything heavy, you know, an extrication call or any type of fire, we, we automatically cage out a second alarm for our department. So guys that can leave work know they actually have an incident and they'll leave work. So you're saying that they're given notice that it's a legit call, for lack of a better phrase. Correct. We have a lot of guys that work for uh, government agencies in our area, and you know they're not going to leave work four times a day for an automatic fire alarm. Right. But if they're, they're, you know, an automatic alarm comes in and, and the engine arrives and they got to work in fire, then we'll bang out the second alarm and, and you'll you'll pick up another ten or twelve guys in four or five minutes. In terms of recruiting new people, do you feel that volunteer departments take advantage of social media enough, or is there still a lot of room for improvement there? I think most of us are doing fairly well with that. More as time goes on, more and more people are coming on board. But we, you know, we we can't think in terms of what we did when I was younger to recruit people. You know, this generation. They, they stare at their phones constantly. They get news from their phones. They get all their information from their phones. So if we want to attract people, we have to be on social media, on their phones. And we got to be open-minded. You know, the people we're recruiting, you know, it's more diversified. And that's a big change in the fire service. By diversified, you mean what? More minorities. In my department, we've, we have, you know, a diverse group of people. Ethnicities, uh, sexual orientation. But the one thing we're good at is when the fire alarm blows, you know, we're all on the same team. We don't really care what you do in your bedroom or your socioeconomic status. That means nothing when you come together as a team. That's good to hear. That's exactly what you want out of a department, I would think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's only going to change as society evolves. The fire service has to evolve with it. And speaking of that, how do you think volunteer departments are going to look 20 years from now? Are they going to survive the way they are, or will there have to be changes of some sort? Well, they say it's like a 70-30 split right now. I I would venture to say 20 years from now, it'll be 55% volunteer, 60% volunteer, and the rest paid. On the fringes of the cities, more and more people are going to combination departments. And I get it, you know, all the new building laws and, and uh, sprinkler laws and automatic alarm laws, certain buildings have to have these types of uh, systems, that, that increases your runs. And it's been effective in keeping fire damage and deaths down, but it also has put a strain on the volunteer fire service. Well, yeah, it requires volunteers to have a lot more training and a lot more certification than they used to a few years back. Correct. There's a, you know, lightweight construction, different ways fire burns hotter and how it moves and different types of structures. You know, a lot of these things have come to the forefront the last seven or eight years with uh, different testing that has been done. 
and we have to change with it. I've heard many times that a lot of people don't realize that they're firefighters or volunteers. How was your community about that? Do they know you're volunteers? Well, I am 90 minutes north of New York City, so that, that's an interesting question. That's going to be a pretty interesting answer. Um, we turned our fire siren off, to, you know, the old style that blew out in the backyard not too long ago. Being so close to the city, you know, you can buy a house where I am, you know, a half a million dollars cheaper than you can in New York City for the same house. So when people move up here out of the city, they just assume their fire service is paid. We've been to plenty of alarms where the people are astonished to find out that we're volunteer. And that's another challenge. You know, people moving in our community, they expect that service, but a lot of them don't want to volunteer to provide that service because where they've come from, it's always been paid. How do they feel about the fact that you folks are volunteers? Are they wishing that you guys were paid, or do they think you do a fine job as it is? No, in my community in Catskill, we have a really good relationship with lifelong residents and, and people that have migrated here. We're a pretty on top of things fire department, I like to think. You know, we get a lot of requests from companies near and far to train. We're all about presenting a good public image. We're all about doing the best we can to protect your pro property. We don't profile whether we're going to search the building or not. If it's got livable space, we're going to search. We, we, we do everything that you would expect a paid fire department to do, we provide that same service. And that's about what you can expect from a good volunteer cadre. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you this, and knock on wood, we are over 200 years old, and we have never failed to answer an alarm. So that's something we're really proud of. We'll leave it there. Ed Dolan, thank you very much for being with me today on Code 3. Thank you, Scott. And we put some more information on retaining volunteer firefighters on our website at code3podcast.com slash retention. Check it out. Well, today we talked about some ideas that can help make staying in the volunteer department more attractive to the members. What's worked for your department? Maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked? Let me know. Email me, scott at co3podcast.com. I'll read some comments on a future show. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's topic, or subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.